Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We co-host Pantsuit Politics, a podcast seeking nuance in political conversation. Along the way, we've realized the rest of life is filled with nuance, too. So we come here each week to commemorate the moments in our lives, moments beyond birthdays, weddings, and funerals, that deserve celebration. It's an opportunity to see ourselves in a new season and to reflect on the messiness of living wisely. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. We are here. We are excited to be sharing a commemoration from Maggie and a commemoration of my churchiversary, which I like to say. And we're going to have a little conversation about church attendance, how we both got back to church, and sort of that journey on the second part of the show. Before we get started, our book is out. I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. It's available wherever you purchase books. And we would love for you to get a copy, review it on Amazon, tell everyone you know to buy a copy. You know, we're just we're just spitballing some ideas here is all I'm saying. Just putting the book out into the world. We really appreciate mm-hmm. your help with that. Yes. Maggie is commemorating that her six-year-old lost her first tooth this week. Happened really fast. It was such a reminder to Maggie that she has a kid now, not a toddler. And I totally relate to what she said about how there are moments when she weeps like a toddler, but more and more she seems like a kid. I think this is a hard spot, this kind of six to eight or nine time when they do have these little dips where you're like, oh, you're still a baby. But no, mostly they're fully children. So Maggie's watching that happen. And she had a great idea about getting a roll of gold dollars for the rest of her teeth. And was just happy that she's prepared for that and ready to have magic, fun, tooth fairy times. Congratulations, Maggie and her daughter. Yay. That is my favorite age, elementary school, kindergarten, early elementary, kindergarten to fourth. I'm so all in on that age. I think they are delightful human beings. Also, do you know my theory about lost teeth? No, tell me. Okay, I think that there is a direct correlation between when they lose their first tooth and when they learn to read. And I am not pulling this out of the ether. My favorite child development books by Lewis Bates Ames. Have you ever read any of them? No. They're like, you're a one-year-old, you're a two-year-old, you're a three-year-old. You get the you get the gist. And she has a section on when they're ready for kindergarten. And she talks about if they've lost teeth or not. And so it kind of like got in the back of my brain. That there's something that happens when they lose their tooth. Okay, well, my first son lost his tooth midway through kindergarten, and it felt like the next week it clicked and he could read. My second son, who's a little less mature, didn't lose his first tooth till midway through first grade. He had struggled with reading, lost the tooth. Next, I swear to you, it's the next week. Clicked. He was reading like a champ. I'm telling you, there's something that happens when they lose a tooth, and then they know how to read. 
So you've got uh, exciting commemorations coming your way, Maggie, beyond the loose tooth. This is my personal theory. When they learn how to read, life gets really fun. Oh, it's so good. Especially when they want to read quietly to themselves. (gasps) It's so beautiful. I'm telling you, elementary school kids are just, they're still cute. They are still really sweet. They have like just enough baby in them, but they can wipe their own booties. They can read. You're not basically living in fear every second that they're going to get themselves killed. It's like a nice, peaceful pause between toddlers trying to get themselves killed and teenagers trying to get themselves killed. I'm just all I'm all in on elementary school. I just love them. I think it's good. I do find those dips confusing when you get toddler behavior and you kind of have to step back and remind yourself that they're just going through all kinds of things. They're changing in so many ways at one time. But I agree, it's a really fun time, and I'm excited for Maggie and her family as they get into that fun time. I have another question. Mm-hmm. Do you keep teeth? I do keep teeth, and I can't believe that I do it. I can't believe it. I know. Why can't we throw them away? I don't know. I feel like I am not at all a tooth-keeping kind of person, yet I just I know. don't know what to do. I know. I just cannot bear to put them in the trash. I don't know why. I mean, my mother had all of mine. It was so weird. It is weird. Every time I see them, I'm like, why, Beth? Why are you doing this? I can't bear to throw them away, though. If somebody has some, an actual, I don't, I can't even fathom that there would be a not, like a use for them or something good you could do with them that's not creepy, but. No, it's all creepy. Maybe. There's not a, <laughs> there's no not creepy so answer weird. here. <laughs> But I just can't bear to throw them in the trash. I'm not going to do it. Do you have umbilical cords? No, I do not have those. I do not have those either. And I feel like it's a similar thing, right? Well, let's see. Yeah, I guess they just, I think a couple, at least one person's, not sure which one, it fell off and I don't think we like knew where it went. I do have a couple of other weird things I've kept. I kept the nut that Amos put in his ear and cost me $1,600 to have removed. Well, it's like a one. jewel now. Exactly. It's a very expensive little seed that I have. And I kept Felix's like little hospital bracelets when he was born because I didn't have another hospital baby. So <laughs> it seemed really important. I didn't have a hospital bracelet from obviously Griffin and Amos because they were born at home. I keep the lock of hair from the first haircut. Do you have that? No. I kept that. I, but I got a little set where you like put them in like the teeth and the hair. And... Here's the thing I love that my mother kept. She kept all my little elementary school glasses. Oh, that's sweet. They're super cute in 80s. I'll tell you the weirdest thing I have. My doula with Ellen made a work of art, like a painting, <gasps> with From my her... placenta. Oh, I thought you were going to say placenta. I'm so happy you said placenta. Yeah, that's I have amazing. That. I have that. I also had my placenta made into capsules, and I took them. Have you done that? I did that with Felix, but it made me sick. I had to stop. It really helped me with milk production, I think. I know. People say it helps. I'm not, I'm not, no judgment. I don't know if it was that I took my placenta or that I had done it before and it was summer, not the dead of winter when I was at home with the baby, but my mood was much, much better the second time around. Well, the placenta, my midwife does like a whole thing about like, this is the tree of life. And she like walks you through, like she like gives you a little speech about it as she, and she kind of shows it to you, but she does not create art from it. My favorite thing on earth <laughs> to occasionally be in a conversation with someone who's like, and have you heard that some people eat the placenta? And I'm like, yep, I'm one of them. (laughs) And just to watch the facial expressions, it's so fun. Oh, I love it. Okay, next up, we are going to talk about our own commemorations, specifically my church anniversary. 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I understand that being able to practice mindfulness every day is something we all want to achieve. Sometimes it can be really hard when we are overwhelmed with work and other aspects of life. There is an app I highly recommend, which might help you to be more mindful every day. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is the only app that takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes so that you can read or listen. Blinkist is made of busy people like you who want to get the main points of the books quickly without reading the entire book. With an audio feature, Blinkist makes it so easy to finish four books a day while you're on the goal. Eight million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, and history books. And I just signed up for Blinkist, you guys. It's just like a garden of delight. I mm-hmm. picked out so many books that I want to, and to pull up a book and see that I'm going to invest 18 minutes to get the best ideas in the book, it makes me really excited. And here's my pro tip, because I've been using Blinkist a lot. I think it's also really great for books you've already read. Like, I really love essentialism, and I feel like it's a message I have to go back to over and over and over again. But the reality is I'm not going to pick up and reread the book. But going through the book again on Blinkist is such a good way to reconnect with the mission of the book, to reconnect with the takeaways and the tips that he gives you. I've gone through essentialism again. I've gone through Cal Newport's deep work again. I just think that's a really, really great way to use Blinkist as well. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash life to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash life to start your free seven-day trial. Blinkist.com slash life. Happy church anniversary, Sarah. Thank you. We have been attending Grace Episcopal Church. I was pregnant with Amos, so this would be year eight, our eight-year church anniversary, after a 10-year absence from attending church. I grew up Baptist, for those of you who have not heard the story before. I grew up Baptist in college. I stopped going to church. I had a little I've learned this is the new phrase. It's called a deconstruction of your faith. Have you heard this phrase? Mm, I like that. It makes me think of a sandwich or something, but I'll go with it. Mm, Okay. I didn't know that's what I was doing, but that's what I was doing. And then when we moved back to Paducah, we had Griffin. We were pregnant with Amos. And Nicholas was like, I don't even know who brought it up the first time. And he was like, let's go back to church. I think I probably would have described myself as agnostic at this point. But I was like, it is important. I did it basically for my children. I thought it was really important to take them to church because it's just sort of this language and comfort level that, like, I have a couple of friends who were not raised in church, and they're very uncomfortable in those situations. And they're like, I kind of wish I'd just gone growing up just so it's easy to stop going to church. It's very difficult to go to church if you didn't develop sort of the language and comfort doing it as a child. So I thought, and, you know, there's all kinds of benefits to going to church, like sociological, psychological benefits. 
So I started going just purely for those reasons. Nicholas was like, hey, I grew up Episcopal, and I don't have any of the hangups about you like you do, so why don't we try the Episcopal Church? We loved it, and they— and I, I have to say, like, just starting across the doors, I thought, like, oh, we're going to go on Sunday. We're not here to make friends. We're going to go do Sunday school and leave. And they just, man, they just drip, drip, dripped on me, those Episcopals, and wore me down. And now I'm, like, all in. I'm in the choir. I think it really revitalized just the way I thought about faith and religion totally and completely. We go on Wednesday nights. I'm going to be on the vestry. What's that mean? What's the vestry? It's like being a deacon. Like you, It's like the board of the church. You help make the decisions about the future and sort of direction of the church. I'm just all in. I'm all in on the Episcopal Church. I love it. It's a great source of comfort. And also stress and anxiety and all the other things that happen when you get in an organization with other human beings. I'm not, I'm not, I don't try to paint it for something that it's not. But it definitely is a source of growth and self-awareness for me and... I'm glad eight years ago we decided to go back to church. I really am. So the part of this story that I didn't know is that you would have considered yourself agnostic. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Can you say more about that? The way I described it to people at the time is I had a very compartmentalized view of church and God. I believe there was a God. After that, I was very much up in the air as far as the particulars of Really anything, Jesus, heaven, hell, the whole the whole shebang. So the first thing that happened is I was l- putting everything together. And so I kind of tried to piece apart how I felt about God and religion from the church as an institution and vice versa. And what I mean by that is I just realized, like, I, I was holding the church to a really unfair standard. Like, I knew all the problems with government and public education, and yet I was still supportive of government and public education. Like, I like to think I'm capable of holding both things at the same time, which is church is a deeply flawed, historically problematic institution. And also it still has something left to give as an institution, just like government, just like a bunch of other things. So I tried to not throw the baby out with the bathwater and say like, okay, I believe that there are benefits of this practice and of this institution. And I'm going to see if I can get to some of those without the very problematic parts. Then as far as sort of my views about God in a more spiritual sense, I mean, this is just—it's just all 100% Richard Rohr. Let's <laughs> lay it all on his feet. But I started reading him and listening to him. I'll never forget—I heard a conversation with him and Rob Bell, in which I just—I—I I thought I didn't believe in God because I thought there was only one way to believe in God based on how I was raised. And when Richard Rohr said, "Hmm, no." That's a flawed way to think about Jesus. That's a flawed way to think about God. And there, are, there is a much more open, less dualistic way to think about spirituality and Jesus and God and Christianity. Then it just felt like an invitation back to something, parts of which I really loved and had missed. And so I think those, those two things happened simultaneously. I eased up on my expectations of church and simultaneously joined a church that met my expectations, and exceeded them in really beautiful ways. And I was doing a lot of reading and learning about Christianity, Richard Rohr, also reading a lot of Marcus Borg. I love Brene Brown's joke that her and her husband call, call themselves Borg. Again, Christian, couldn't, believe, couldn't agree with that more. So all those things sort of, I mean, they're related. They weren't happening simultaneously. The fact that I stepped through, I think, the doors of a church 
opened up my heart in a way to rethink Christianity and the fact that I was rethinking Christianity allowed me to take bigger roles in the church to trust the church more. All those things happened together. And I find myself in a very, very different place. I mean, I, 10 years ago, I would not have described myself as a person of faith as I do regularly now. You know, I'm grateful. I think that it's also it was also a a long journey to forgive some of the things that happened to me in the Baptist church and also see some of the benefits I gained from growing up in the Baptist church. So a lot of therapy, a lot of journaling, <laughs> lots and lots go into celebrating this church anniversary. It's complicated, the church anniversary. It's complicated. It is. It is. What about you? Well, I similarly grew up in a Southern Baptist church. I was there every time the doors were open because my parents were uh, the music department. My dad led the music. My mom played the piano. And so I, I think of it now as like we didn't attend church as much as we created church. In my family, I sang a lot of solos. I taught a lot of Bible school. I went to a lot of business meetings. Mm-hmm. And it was just a part of our lives in a way that seemed like the natural order of things. It was never a decision to be there. It was, of course, we're there. This is what we do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And honestly, almost every aspect of that was incredibly positive for me. I've shared on the podcast on numerous occasions that I had a very bizarre Southern Baptist upbringing, not at all aligned with most Southern Baptist churches. My preacher was an excommunicated Catholic. We incorporated all kinds of things into our worship services from the Catholic tradition, one year, my vacation Bible school was basically a comparative religion course. Like the person teaching it, we devoted a day to Judaism and a day to Islam. And, you know, it it was a much more open, accepting, almost progressive in its way congregation than I think most people who have a Southern Baptist upbringing experienced. Mm-hmm. So the only point of tension for me with church came late in my high school years, when I had my car accident, I found church to be, you know, I don't even know if it was that it was hurtful. It was just not what I needed. And I think that very often what just not what I needed ends up being hurtful. You know what I mean? I just had this conversation Mm -hmm. with Jane the other day. She was upset about something that Chad said because she got into an altercation with our dog and chipped her tooth. It involved head bumping, tooth chipping, lots of tears. And Chad was trying to say to her, this is not an aggressive dog. You made a bad decision. Let's not make a decision like that again. And Jane was saying, I was hurt. You know, he should have been comforting me instead of arguing with me about the way I interacted with Lucy. Those are my words, not hers. I can't remember exactly what she said because it was in a series of yells. So I said to her, Jane, a really hard part of being a person is that other people around you do not respond to you the way that you wish they did in your head. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's because they don't know what you're wishing in your head, and they can't do what they don't know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's because they're not capable of responding to you the way that you wish. But being a person is filled with other people not doing exactly what you would like, and that is hard. And I think that is really where church broke down for me. I don't even know that I could have said, here's what I want from church, but it wasn't that around that experience. And that's where I sort of started to drift away. We also got a new pastor who I frankly didn't like very much, didn't feel very comfortable (sighs) with. And so then I went to college and it just kind of faded away for me in college. I just didn't go. I didn't want to. And I didn't. And I started to realize, oh, this is like a thing that you pick. 
and how nice it is to have Sunday when you don't have all those obligations. Look at all these other things that can happen on Sunday. And so I was gone from church for a while. In law school, I got much more conservative in a lot of ways. I think it's because I was reading a lot of Scalia. And I decided I should really go to church. And so I shopped around. I found a church. It was okay. It still felt just kind of phony to me. Like I couldn't find my way in on an emotional level. And I never had any doubt about faith whatsoever. I always had. And I think it's because of the the very special church that I attended growing up. I always had a sense of kind of ecumenicalism, that there are lots of paths to one God. And that we all just find the path that makes sense to us, but we don't need to be judgmental of other paths. So I never had any questions about God. I had tons of questions about church. And so I put myself into that sort of spiritual but not religious kind of. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thing, and just decided that maybe organized religion wasn't for me. It wasn't until after the 2016 election that I went back to church. So I am way behind you in church aversarying. We were spending so much time on the podcast talking about the breakdown in our institutions, and Mm -hmm. certainly that included the institution of organized religion, that I felt kind of fraudy not participating in those institutions, you know, and and trying to be Mm -hmm. part of the solution to that problem. And I had some of the kind of concerns that you have when you have kids that you mentioned. Just you want them to be conversant in these traditions that are especially are big parts of your family heritage. And so I started looking. And my main criteria when I started looking was that I wanted to find a church led by women ministers because I felt like if a church could have a woman in charge, probably lots of other things that were important to me were going to fall into place. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely been my experience. So I attend a church that is part of the Disciples of Christ faith. It is hard for me to describe to you what the Disciples of Christ believe because it's pretty much like, what do you think? That is the <laughs> philosophy of the Disciples of Christ Church. You should discern that for yourself. We are here to be loving and supportive in the process. Hooray. And I really like that. I like that way of kind of guiding children through their faith journeys instead of it doesn't feel like indoctrination at all. The church is very welcoming and accepting and much more about service. Our pastor always says at the end of church that the worship has ended and the service begins. And I love that. I love that it doesn't feel like a country club substitute to me at all. Now, is it perfect? Mm. No. Are there, you know, all the issues attendant to any group of human beings coming together around a common purpose? Of course. But it's been a really positive experience for me and for our family. 
Zola is reinventing the wedding planning and registry experience to make the happiest moment in couples' lives even happier. Combining compassionate customer service with modern tools and technology, all in the service of love. Zola is the easiest way to plan your wedding and register with free wedding websites, your dream wedding registry, affordable save-the-dates and invitations, and easy-to-use planning tools. Start with a free wedding website. It takes just minutes to set up, and you can choose from over 100 beautiful designs that fit any style and every type of wedding. Put your Zola registry on your wedding website so guests can get all the details they need and buy your wedding gift in one convenient place. The Zola store has the widest selection of gifts at all different price points from over 500 brands. There's something for every guest to give, and I love the idea of making the wedding experience less stressful for yourself and everyone attending by having all this information in one beautiful, easy-to-navigate place. And I am an old person and was a child bride, so I had access to none of this, and I am extraordinarily jealous. I mean, I think I was, like, the first person to have a wedding website. I might have, like, coded it myself, y'all. That's how old I am. So to have access to these tools, I'm so jealous. To start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to Zola.com slash pantsuit. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash pantsuit to get $50 off your registry today. So were there any, beyond female leadership, were there any requirements that you were looking for in a church? Yeah. And so let me just say to everybody, I'm going to say these things, and I guarantee that you will disagree with some of them. And that is okay. I think this is just a good way to talk about where we are. And, you know, even if you are not a religious person, have no interest in joining a faith community I find it helpful to make a list of deal breakers about any community that I'm going to be part of. And Mm -hmm. so this is kind of this was my list for my personal participation in a faith community. I wanted an open communion. I just as I've thought more about my experiences growing up, if you really believe this is God's table, I don't understand saying to anyone that they can't be part of it. And so that was really important to me. I wanted a place that was welcoming and celebratory of the LGBTQ community. I want to hear not one single sermon ever about that topic. Mm -hmm. I really don't want to hear a lot about hell, honestly, because I wanted to be in a congregation. I think you put this really well, Sarah, whenever we talk about the evangelical movement and politics. I really want to be in a church that helps me grow in my faith that I live out every day now. And trust that when I die, things will work out. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in Sunday after Sunday getting a message about eternal salvation as if my eternal salvation turns on one particular expression of faith. And again, I know lots of people disagree with me about that, and that is cool. I respect where you're coming from. Again, I think there are lots of paths to one divine loving creator. For me, I just am not interested in sort of the heaven, hell, sin, repent, constant drumbeat. What about you? Mine are the same. I mean, my church, when we first began attending, was a female minister. It is no longer. She retired, sadly. But that was very important to me as well. But my main primary, one of my primary requirements was that I was not going to attend a church where members of the LGBT community were not treated as full and 
complete members of the the community in every way. So, you know, I have three children. I don't know their sexuality, but I never wanted them to feel in any place that we are, particularly a place that we choose to attend, that they are anything less than anyone else. So that was incredibly important to me. I was also looking for a different approach to children's ministry and youth ministry than I experienced in the Baptist church. Like I really wanted them to be more a part of the congregation and less like Bible schooly, if that makes sense. Like we do at the Episcopal church, godly play, which is like a Montessori based biblical approach. So it's like they tell stories and they work through that less instructional, more invitational, which is something we talk about a lot here. And that's kind of my, been my experience with the Episcopal Church overall. I mean, I think there were things I now that are so important to me that I wouldn't have been able to articulate as a requirement. But the liturgical calendar is really important to me now. I really like knowing that there is a service that sort of everyone is participating and it's sort of predefined. I call it like, there's a lot less room for ad-libbing, as I like to say, than there was in the Baptist Church. So all those things... My church is small. There's not a lot of, there's not big, huge services. There's not big, huge events. And I grew up at a church like that, and it was fun, but it quickly began to feel like a membership in-group, out-group situation as opposed to, which every church can feel like that. That's sort of some one of the inherent problems with church. But I really wanted to be in a space that just felt like a small community and less, like you said, like a country club. And I'm I'm really happy with what we found at Grace because of that as well. And I like the youth group too, which is, again, it's just smaller. So if there's not as, when it's not a big group, I think that it's just a totally different feel than I had growing up at the Baptist church where we had a giant youth group and it was like the cool one in town and all that kind of stuff. I definitely agree that there is a long list of things now that are important to me about my church that I wouldn't have been able to name going into it because I sort of knew what I didn't want but I didn't have the imagination of what could exist. And so that's just a constant surprise. Little things that the church does, like our Easter egg hunt every year, There's there are bags available for kids who need like gluten-free or dairy-free candy. Just There are just all kinds of thoughtful things that happen that were not part of my growing up at all, you know? Mm-hmm. So I've learned things that if I were moving to a new community and starting this search over again would definitely be important to me that weren't on my list on the way in. I also relate to what you said about thinking, I'm just going to go to church, not be sucked into all of the work of church. I have that philosophy as well. It quickly became apparent to me that I just don't have it in me to just attend church. I think my parents had such a strong sense that if you if you have spiritual gifts, you're supposed to use them. And so I definitely have been more involved than I intended to be. Mm. But I think that's good because I I do feel like that's where the real relationships that become such a wonderful part of your life outside of church are formed. You know, if you're just showing up on Sunday, like there's something lovely and wonderful about that worship experience. I do enjoy it. And I do really appreciate having communion every week, which is not something I grew up with. That ritual I find just really comforting and kind of connecting. Yeah, I agree. But to have people who you know are going to celebrate with you and 
mourn with you and all of the other things that can happen in the course of a life. I think that being pretty involved is important to forming those kinds of relationships. Yeah, the church, it'll really work on you, I feel like. <laughs> and I do think that if I were not a part of a church, what I've learned over the past two years, being a part of a church now that I have young children and a marriage and a house and all the responsibilities that wrap around those things, I would want to find some kind of community because this has mm-hmm. made me realize how for the previous years, we were pretty well going it alone. You know, we don't have family yeah. in this area. We had great neighbors, but that's just not the same. And mm-hmm. I'm really glad to be connected, even if I don't feel super close to a ton of people there, which I don't. It's a small congregation. I'm still relatively new. The people that I feel close to, though, I feel very close to. And the people yeah. that I don't feel close to would still show up for me because I see that happening in the congregation all the time. And so just to know if something happens, we are not by ourselves. It's pretty big. I, I mean, that I think that is absolutely, you know, when we lost... Our third pregnancy, the church was really there for us in a really big way. And it is nice. I feel like, you know, when we, and it's not just tough moments, but they're there supporting me with the book and they're there supporting me when I ran for office and they're celebrating our kids when they have successes. It's just this built in sort of support system of people who are rooting for you. And I, that's in particular what I wanted for my children and a big reason why we decided to go back to church originally is that I grew up feeling like there was this group of adults who I could ask for advice, who really wanted what was best for me, who were rooting for me. And I valued that tremendously growing up. And I wanted my children to experience that as well, to feel like there were all these adults around them who were watching out for them and who were ready to help, who they could reach out to. Those adults played a really important role in my childhood and adolescence, and I wanted similar experiences for my children. And the confidence that kids get from participating in church activities has been really surprising to me. It shouldn't be because I don't know where I think I got my confidence in standing up in front of people all the time. I mean, I sang in church from four years old on. I spoke in church frequently. So it's no wonder that I don't really get nervous about public speaking or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't connect those dots until I saw Jane start standing up in front of the congregation doing things almost on a weekly basis. <laughs> a few months ago, she got a pretty extraordinary haircut. And Everybody commented on it. And as we got in the car in the parking lot, she looked at me and she said, Mom, everybody noticed my hair. And I said, they did. And she goes, I'm kind of like a celebrity here. (laughs) And I just I love that she feels so supported. I asked her the other day, prompted by one of our pastors, what adults at church love you? And she rattled off a list. And Mm. it was a different list than I might have made, which I think is even better. That's awesome. There's a... Pretty amazing video of me when I was first grade, second grade, and they were bringing people up to the church to talk about what they loved about the church. And I go up in my very thick Western Kentucky accent and say, like, well, I just love the people and the love and the singing. Then I go to choir and Miss Sarah's out there goofing around, but I just love the singing. It's (laughs) hilarious. It is hilarious, but it's such a it's such a sweet moment, and you can really see that I did. I felt like really embraced and accepted and 
many ways growing up at the church. And there is not one single thing that Jane is hearing at church right now that I like cringe at or have to re-explain in the car. Yeah. My church has that sort of Montessori philosophy about kids programs, too. So she does worship and wonder and they tell a story and it usually has like wood and felt involved so they can really kind of put their hands into the story. And then the only spiritual instruction is just a series of questions. I wonder what they were thinking when this happened. I wonder how that felt. I wonder what was on their minds when they did this. And so she gets in the car this past Sunday. And I said, what did you learn about Jane? And she said, oh, the parable of the pearl or something like that. And I said, what did that mean to you? And she goes, I don't know, mom. That's the wondering part. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very comfortable with that. Yeah. I wish there had been more conversation growing up with my family after church. Like, this is what we talked about. I agreed with it. And we do that sometimes. I'll say, I didn't agree with that. Or I think differently about that subject or whatever. I wish there had been more of that growing up in my house. I am full up on that around here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just Jane's personality. I tweeted the other day about how she asked me if I believe in spells and magic. <sighs> I was like, okay, Beth, you can handle this. You can do this. So I said, what do you think, Jane? Do you think spells and magic are real? She like paused for a second. And she goes, um, no. Is that right? And I said, well, I think it just depends on what you're thinking of as magic. And she goes, oh, like, I mean, I definitely think friendship is magic. Thank you, Mountain Ponies. And I said, I agree with you. I think friendship is magic, too. And she goes, but I think probably like spells and curses. Mm, Probably not. And she was and then she just looked at me like, please tell me something about this. Don't leave me hanging, mom. And so I said, here's what I think, Jane. I think that our thoughts are sometimes powerful in ways that we don't quite understand. And so I think it matters if we send good thoughts to people. And I think it matters if we send bad thoughts to people. Mm. And we don't always know how that's going to matter. And it might matter in ways that we never, ever see. But I think it's just generally a good idea to send good thoughts to people and not bad thoughts. And she seemed totally content with that and moved on. And I was relieved. But that is a regular kind of conversation in my house. I feel like that's challenging. I don't know. I feel like those that's kind of level three parenting or something whenever she rolls out with a question like that. But I'm glad she does. I totally agree. The other day, Amos said, Mom, what do you think is an important challenge facing our community? And I was like, what? What? Am I in a debate? What has? Where did you get that from? Like, you never know where it comes from. It usually sparks a great discussion, but sometimes I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that, especially not enough to articulate it in a way that a seven-year-old or a nine-year-old is going to understand. But it's usually a helpful exercise no matter what, because it leaves me pondering way past the point that they're interested in my answer. Yes, there are no spiritual teachers quite like your kids, I'm finding. I think that's totally true and a good point to end on. Thank you all so much for joining us for The Nuanced Life. We will be back in your ears on Pantsuit Politics on Friday and Tuesday. Very exciting on Pantsuit Politics if you're not normally a political person. On Friday, we are going to walk you through five things that you need to know about the Green New Deal. So if you've heard about that and don't know quite what to think, pop on over to Pantsuit Politics and join us for that. Thank you as always. Keep it nuanced, y'all.
Nuance Life is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. The Nuance Life is listener supported. For $5 a month, you'll receive an extra episode of The Nuance Life at patreon.com slash The Nuance Life. You can connect with us on our website, thenuancelife.com, and follow us on Instagram.